minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can always check us out at CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I am joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome back to another Friday edition of the show. Thank you, Kyle. I am really, really excited about what we have in store today. Yeah, if you listened to last Friday's episode, you heard an absolutely awesome interview with Joe Marino from the Draft Network. You might know Joe from the Draft Dudes podcast and the Locked On Bills podcast. And last week, we talked with Joe about the upcoming NFL Draft, and we really focused on the offensive side of the ball. And this week, we are excited to share the second half of our discussion with Joe. This time, we wanted to focus our attention on some of the defensive prospects in the draft. And obviously, the Packers loaded up on on the defensive side of things in free agency, but this 2019 draft class is one that is loaded on the defensive side of things. So whether it's at pick 12, 30, or 44, or even later in the draft, the best players available could very well be defenders. We are incredibly lucky to have the second half of our interview with Joe Marino this week. Last week, we shared some of Joe's thoughts about offense, and this week, he's going to be telling us a little bit more about the defensive side of this draft. So there seems to be a ton of highly touted defenders in this year's draft class. Who has the greatest chance to slide further than what we would typically think they would? Maybe like a Harold Landry or a Josh Jackson did last season. Oh, it's it's so interesting, right? Because I think these guys are going to go quick. And I, I mean, how does Harold Landry fall to the second round? And Marcus uh. Davenport, they traded up twice. They traded and gave up a second first round pick for him. You guys robbed the Saints. Uh, so. <laughs> So I'm still, I'm still haven't gotten over that. Um, you know, I think about the guys that can fall. How about Rashawn Gary from Michigan? I think that, you know, you look at a lot of the, the, you know, the national media guys, some of the guys from NFL.com and you're, you're going to see Rashawn Gary in their top five, their top 10, but then go through the draft and tell me where he goes. Like who's really going to choose Gary. Who's pretty much, I think been an underachiever. I mean, the number one high school recruit came out and he's really been modest in terms of his impact and, you know, I don't think he's. you really take the deep dive onto his film. I don't think you see a very technically refined guy in terms of his hand usage. And you see an explosive athlete and a guy that's physical, but there's a lot of work to do and he underachieved. And so, you know, are you really going to side with him over some of the more cleaner prospects? And so, you know, I think it's a difficult question, but I can see him being the one defensive player that maybe everyone's saying, hey, it's top 10 guy, that he's more difficult than we think to slot. Andrew knows that I'm a big Michigan fan, and he knows that I will be the first one uh, to harp on Chase Winovich and Devin Bush. But Rashawn Gary is the guy that I'll say, you know, he just never really lived up to the hype that he had coming into Michigan. So I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong there. Maybe we'll see him slip a little bit more than yeah, people think. Listen, I take, I take either one of those guys, Winovich or, obviously Bush. Bush is the best prospect for Michigan this year. To me, Winovich is the second one. And then yeah. we start talking about Gary, in my opinion. Maybe that's a hot take, but to me, I mean, just watch a tape, put put together your evaluation, think about the athletic testing and the production. I don't know how you can really make a case to say Gary's a better prospect than either of those two. 
Yeah, I'd be a huge fan of getting either of those other two on the Packers for sure. Uh, but even with the additions through the free agency period, edge rusher is kind of a position that makes Packers fans a little bit uneasy because it's been a position we just haven't really gotten production from for a long, long time. Is there an edge who could fall to 12 that you would just think, even with the additions the Packers have made in Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, if they're there at 12, you just have to pick them because they're that good of a player? Brian Burns, Brian Burns from Florida State. And it's interesting because I I mocked Burns to the Packers before the combine. And I tell you, the Packers fans yelled at me. They told me he was the second coming of Jamal Reynolds. And then he has the combine and he weighs 249 and he has great testing. And all of a sudden, everybody wants Brian Burns. Come on now, watch the tape. This guy was dominant all season long. I mean, so I think he'd be wonderful for a 3-4 scheme and a stand-up role, a guy that you can maximize because he's really exciting playing forward and rushing the passer. He's really flexible. He's long, got a ton of pass rush moves, has a good inside move, good spin. I mean, literally, I, I think he's – here, maybe this is a hot take for you. I think he's not He's not the best prospect in the class. He's the best pass rushing prospect in the class. He's not better than Bosa, but he's a better pass rushing prospect than Bosa. So there's, there's something for you. Now, if that's true, then I don't know how he gets to 12, but – there's a chance, right? I mean, you stack this thing up and a lot of times you're kind of, you're kind of looking there and saying, wow, I don't really know where Burns is going to go. Um, because there's not a lot of teams that are necessarily would, would prioritize a stand-up guy like that, but green Bay would. And, and so I think you can also maximize him by using him in space. If you watched him at the combine, I mean, he, he was moving like a safety in terms of his back pedal, moving laterally, made some really great plays on the ball when they, when they challenged him to, to, uh, you know, make a play on it in space. And I, I just feel like there's so much to him uh, that, uh, you know, I, I think if even with the players that Green Bay added at edge, if, if Brian Burns was there at 12, I, I'd, I'd snatch him. There, there's, there's some uh, severe trauma amongst Packers fans when it comes to guys from Florida State who might be slightly undersized. Um, and they saw that 99, and it was over. Though I did some research, and Jamal Reynolds didn't wear 99 in college. Um, and so that should tell you they're not the same player. That that alone. So the, this, I, I was laughing to myself because I wrote down on the paper, what is the deal with Ed Oliver? And I kind of feel like I should say that like a 90s comedian. Like, what is the deal with Ed Oliver? But seriously, I, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not a draft expert, but to me, Ed Oliver looks like one of the top prospects in this draft. So why is there no love for him higher in the first round? Sound like a draft expert to me there with those takes. And Ed Oliver's a great prospect. I like this guy. I don't know why. I mean, it's funny when the first odds came out for who's going to be the number one pick in the draft, it was Ed Oliver. And now we're like, is he going to fall to 15 to the Falcons? Is he in play for the Eagles at 25? I think, I don't know, I, I feel like maybe people finally learned that he's not that big. And I, to me, he actually checked in pretty good. He was like just under 6'2", 287. I thought he was going to be like 6'1", 270. So he's bigger than I thought he was. And, I mean, he didn't have the final season that I think people expected him to. Um, he dealt with a knee injury for most of the season. And, you know, then that stupid thing with the jacket where – I guess you're not allowed to wear a jacket if it's above 50 degrees and you're not starting. <laughs> <laughs> and and their coach Applewhite tries to take it off him in the middle of a game. What is, I mean, a ridiculous rule in a ridiculous situation. So I just don't feel like he carried a lot of positive momentum throughout the course of the season. 
and has really maximized it in terms of draft stock, at least as we perceive it from the media side. I'm sure teams, the teams that love him, they probably still love him. But uh, I think it also comes down to, you know, slotting him and, and where who's going to who's going to be the team early on that's going to take him. I think Quinn and Williams is clearly the best defensive tackle prospect in this class. But when you think about the the inevitable reaches for quarterbacks, when you think about the edge rushers in this year's class, maybe that's where Ed Oliver gets bumped down. But I still think he's a top 15 pick. If you're looking, I mean, that's I'm very hesitant to say things like, Aaron Donald, because I just don't think that's fair. Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the planet. But if you're looking for a guy that has that type of dynamic interior penetration skills, Ed Oliver is your guy. And so, I, I mean, whoever is going to get him is going to get a good football player. And he, if he falls, then it's he's going to tear up the league because he's got a really exciting penetration style skill set. And we are actually on the last year of Mike Daniels' deal in Green Bay. And so it would be very interesting if someone like Ed Oliver were brought in to kind of be the heir apparent to that shorter, squattier player that we've had in Mike Daniels. But how do you feel, uh, Andrew? Do you feel like that's a pretty good answer to your uh, what is the deal with Ed Oliver question? Uh, absolutely. I, I am a big proponent of bringing in Ed Oliver and just having all defensive linemen on the defense. <laughs> 11, 11 defensive linemen. <laughs> get we have you a middle linebacker that can move if you're going to do that but yeah yeah um we haven't had a secondary in a couple of years so i mean like we might as well just go all defensive line that'd be all right um i'm actually curious to get your thoughts on jakai polite and cleveland farrell's draft stocks as their testing or i guess lack thereof has brought up more questions and answers do you think that they could fall to pick 30 or even pick 44 where are they at in this process i think polite for sure um on one hand, I think polite if you I mean, he didn't become a worse football player throughout this combine process where I mean he just bombed team interviews, bombed media interviews, he ran slow, he looked sloppy in terms of his body composition, and it's uh it's you can just tell he wasn't prepared for the moment, and that's concerning. And at the same time, watch his tape, you see a really dynamic edge rusher, a guy with a lot of burst, a lot of bend. And he, he really affected quarterbacks. But then, you know, you start thinking about the lack of preparation for the combine and you start thinking, well, yeah, he kind of has a funky frame and he's not really defined and he really didn't play a large majority of snaps at Florida. And so you kind of just compound all the issues when you give you give someone an inch, you start really thinking and you say, well, maybe he's not everything that uh, that we thought he was. And so I think he's more likely than not a second round pick than he is a first round pick. But if you can you know, if you can cultivate him and and. And get him right. I mean, you saw what he can do at Florida this past year. Really, really fantastic season rushing the passer. Farrell, on the other hand, I don't know if I like him as a fit for for uh, for Green Bay so much. Um, I think I'd love for him as a true base end and a four three, really technically refined player, good hand usage. I just, you know, there's some concessions there in terms of if you're looking for a bendy, explosive guy, he's not really going to give you that. But at the same time. I know that he knows how to use his hands, and I know he knows how to soften rush angles, and he's got a lot in his tool bag in terms of how to beat blocks and a lot of good production there at Clemson. So uh, you're just not going to get the bendiest and the most, you know, athletic edge rusher. But I, I just and that, and for those reasons, I don't know if I love him as an every down player for the Packers, uh, just based on Mike Mike Pettin's scheme. Yeah, and I think Packers fans are quite sick of seeing 4-3 defensive ends drafted to try to play 3-4 outside linebacker. Um, At least I've seen enough of that, Dayton Jones. Um, But switching gears a little bit, where do you rank this year's safety class? 
you know, this safety class is one that I didn't like a whole lot going into the year. But the more I study the tape, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that I really like uh, in day one, day two. I mean, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from Florida is a, is a guy that I think can p- play single high, give you some upside in the slot. I love Nasir Adderley from Delaware, who's, uh, I mean, he's a do-everything guy. It was really exciting to watch his tape because he lined up in deep zones a lot, really far off the ball, but he made a ton of plays. Like, that did not preclude him from firing downhill and making plays. Deontay Thompson, I mean, if you're looking for a rangy ball hawk, a single high guy, you know, you can get that in Thompson. And he's really erratic as a tackler. But if you want someone to defend those deep zones and, and you know, allow yourself to be aggressive in front of what he can do in terms of a rangy back end guy, I mean, he's exciting. I love Juan Thornhill from Virginia. I think he's a do everything type guy that tested really, really well. He's got ball skills for days. Darnell Savage is a safety from Maryland who he I mean, he's really physical playing the run. I like his upside as a big slot if you want to do some man stuff. I mean, there's a long list. I mean, Taylor Rapp, John Abraham. I like Marquise Blair, tight Taylor Rapp. I mean, I think I just listed like 10 guys, and any one of those I think would be comfortable picks for me in the top 75, you know, ranging anywhere from 20 to 75. So there's not there's not Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick and Jesse Bates this year, but there might be 10 or 12 dudes that, that have starting ability. It seems like linebacker might not be as good of a group this year. The Devons get a lot of love at the top of the draft. Um, are Devin White and Devin Bush top 15 players to you? And how do they compare to players like Roquan Smith in last year's class? Great question. Um, Roquan Smith's a better prospect than both in my view. I think that you get the you get the total package in terms of processing skills, range, and physicality from Roquan, where... I love Devin White or Devin Bush. Or excuse me, Devin White. I love them both. I love Devin White's <laughs> range. It's easy to get him frost up. The LSU one. The LSU <laughs> one. I love his range. I mean, ridiculous speed sideline to sideline. You just have to understand that he's not necessarily the most astute processor. He got better from 17 to 18. But, I mean, he he's not always going to be where he needs to be. And he's a little erratic as a tackler. So, I think Roquan's a, a much better prospect in my view. And I love Devin Bush. I mean, I don't think the gap between Devin Bush and, Bush and Devin White is very, very big. But, yeah, if you want to get one of the – I mean, if you want to get an impact linebacker in this year's class, you better get one of those two. And so, with that said, I think they could go – I think they're both for sure going in the top 15. I think you start at, you start at uh, number five to Tampa – you get to number eight, the Detroit. You talk about uh, number 10, Denver, 12, Green Bay. You've got, uh, is it the Redskins at 15? I mean, there's so many landmines for linebackers. Denver at 10, all of those are linebacker spots. And you can't wait. You're not going to wait and get any value if you don't get one of those two. So I think we have a really good chance. Last year we had Tremaine Edmonds and Roquan Smith taken in the top 16. Book it again. We're going to get two. Now, the difference between last year is you still had three more first-round linebackers. That's not going to happen this year. And, and so you think about the Steelers at 20, there's not a chance they're going to get either one of these Devons unless they move up. So you want one of the quality linebackers this year, you better get Devin Bush or Devin White. All right. So now we're going to really ask you for your assistance here. When Kyle and I are projecting the pick at 12, it's my theory that there are two wild cards who are going to determine what players fall to Green Bay, unless, you know, there's some trades, which of course there will be. But um, if everybody sticks and picks, to me, the wild cards are Detroit at eight, and who knows what the heck the Lions are ever doing. And the second is the Buffalo Bills at nine. And since you're a draft expert and a Bills fan, 
could you project what Buffalo is going to do so we can just take that player off the board right now? <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, funny you said that about the Lions. I, I mean, I, I do a mock draft every four weeks. I've been doing one since August, right? So I've done a lot of mock drafts at this point, six of them. And they're the hardest team to slot because I just I, I they have so many needs. And so there's so many different directions they can go. But you asked me about the Bills. I, if you said today that who I would think they're going to take, I would tell you I believe it's going to be Christian Wilkins, uh, interior defensive lineman from Clemson. He's a player that, you know, the Bills are very much like a culture process driven team. They want really like guys that have the right DNA and are wired the right way. I mean, and you look at Christian Wilkins and the reason Clemson's been successful over the last, I don't know, what, seven years? There's two players, Deshaun Watson and Christian Wilkins, that really changed the course of that program, along with what, obviously, Dabo Swinney's done in terms of being the head coach there. But Christian Wilkins is one of those culture guys, and he gives you that interior penetration ability, which the Bills just don't have on the defensive line. And very much like the Packers, the Bills have been aggressive in free agency to really clean up the roster and set themselves up to really, you know, everyone probably thought they would go with an offensive player, but they, I mean, they signed six offensive linemen, two receivers and a tight end and a running back. I mean, allowing them to go defense in the draft. And so I think, I think you can take Christian Wilkins off the board, uh, but I reserve the right to be wrong about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. To see that perspective and the lions are such a big wild card as, as are the bills. So we'll wait and see how all that falls as we get a little bit closer to the draft. Joe, we really do appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and join us on the pack a day podcast if you're a listener out there and you're a fan of the NFL draft, there really is no better website for you to be connected to during the offseason. I love the mock simulator and the ability to build your own big board and even try to guess what the Packers board might look like as we approach the draft. So make sure you check that out at the Draft Network and be sure to give Joe a follow on Twitter at the Joe Marino. He really is a great follow. And so thanks again, Joe, for taking the time to come on the Packaday podcast. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you having me. But that is all the time we have for today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Murtag. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jake and Mark. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. And if you liked our conversations with Joe Marino, we'll be back next Friday with continued coverage of the NFL Draft with a number, another member of the Draft Network team, as Ben Solak will be joining us for some in-depth discussions on Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Cody Ford, and Dalton Reisner. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Please welcome Hall of Fame fullback Jim Taylor. With the 64 pick in the 211 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Randall Cobb, wide receiver, Kentucky. Well, this is it, Rock, the season. Right here on this fourth down play. How many times have we said that on this drive? Rodgers in the shotgun. Three receivers left, one to the right. Rodgers gets the snap. Blitz is on. Rodgers scrambles left, winds up rainbow. He's got power to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. Touchdown and a dagger. Oh, my goodness. An NFC North Division championship dagger of 47 yards. 
Rodgers from the 42 of New York, fourth down and two. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield, scrambles right. Now, winds up, rainbows into the end zone. It is caught. Shotgun on third down and ten. Snap to Rodgers. Steps up. Lost it. Left side. Ends up. 